Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. The episode you're about to hear is a rewritten, re-edited, and remastered version of one of Nighttime's earliest episodes. It was originally released in January of 2016. However, it's long since been removed from the feed due to the production needing some TLC to get it up to par with the show's current aesthetic. After spending the last month focused on a Columbine-obsessed neo-Nazi with ambitions of mass murder, I wanted to tackle something a little lighter, and I decided the time was right to dust off, polish, and re-release the story of the Pictou County Bigfoot. So sit back, open your mind, and let's dive in. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. The forest is a magical place where anything can happen. Just as our basements have cobweb corners where our household oddities collect, and our cities have neighborhoods which tend to generate the more unusual news reports, the forest also has this mysterious darkness. Except instead of it being tucked neatly into its corners, the forest is made entirely of dark places, and the deeper you go, the darker and stranger it tends to get. This concept has been clear to me for as long as I can recall. See, I grew up on a dead-end street with the forest just outside my back door, and of course I grew up at a time before the technological distractions kids have today. As such, the kids in my community, we spent all our time exploring the forest. It was like another world back there, filled with strange discoveries. To name just a few, I'll never forget the time a group of my friends and I stumbled upon what we assumed was an abandoned hobo's camp. But it wasn't the weathered tent or the rusted tin cans that made this so memorable. It was the large collection of rain-soaked pornographic magazines that we found scattered throughout the area. Thinking about this from the present day, I still can't imagine how enough dirty magazines to fill a bookshelf would find their way to a campsite an hour's walk into the woods. In hindsight, I guess we were just lucky the owner was long gone. Now, Another memorable discovery was a spot we called the Pit. Like the dirty magazines, I never understood the site's true history, but my best guess is that it was some sort of a rudimentary landfill used by someone who farmed the land long before my subdivision was built. This pit initially had the appearance of a large indentation into a hillside a short walk into the forest from my home. I'm not sure what led the neighborhood kids to begin digging there, but it's something we came to do at a frequency that increased with every artifact we unearthed. There was a musket, a sword, many odd-shaped glass bottles. It was our Oak Island. And then our forest, like every other, had its darkness. The neighborhood kids regularly heard unexplained grunts and growls. We saw puzzling nocturnal lights in the distance, at least one UFO, and more than a handful of prowlers were spotted at night walking within the brush that separates our backyards from the real wild stuff. But needless to say, the forest and the odd going-ons that happened within it have always been a part of my life. In fact, back in 2015 when I first launched Nighttime, one of the first requests I made to listeners was for story ideas that took place in or in some way involved the forest. The first response I received led me to the story you're going to hear tonight. 
Miles McKenzie, a listener currently brewing New Brunswick's best beer, sent me an email sharing the story of an animal encounter he and some high school friends had in the woods of Pictou County, Nova Scotia. Now actually, animal encounter is a bit of an understatement. Don't roll your eyes before you hear the story, but Miles and his friends, they encountered a friggin' Bigfoot. It happened back in 2003. Miles and a few members of his track team were running sprints in the dense woods of the Green Hill Provincial Park. Whatever the group encountered, it wasn't like anything they, nor their coach, had experienced before or since. Nor was it anything they'd ever forget. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, we'll be joined by Miles McKenzie, as well as his high school track coach, his father, Stephen McKenzie. And our topic will be Pictou County's surprising history with Bigfoot. So what happened basically, uh, I'll give a little bit of the, the backstory. Uh, it was back in 2003, uh, I would have been 15 or 16 at the time, it was in late fall, uh, and we were training for our high school uh, cross country team. So the guys that were with me were, their names were Liam, Greg, and Jeremy. And my father, Stephen, was the coach. What we would do is tw- twice or three times a week, we'd go out and we'd go for long runs for cross-country training. And we were going to do uh, hill training that day. So after school, my dad took us to drove us out to uh, Green Hill Provincial Park, which uh, is a little ways out of town, maybe maybe a, a 12 or 15-minute drive. It's, it's kind of in a woody area. There's not really much around, a few farms. We were going to do some hill sprints up there. That's why we were out in the woods that day. Okay. To get out there, we drive down Green Hill Road, uh, runs north to south along the east side of the hill and at the bottom of the hill there there's a, a, a spot where there's a if anyone's familiar with the area there's a spot where people stop and get spring water so we would uh we stopped in there and got some spring water did some some warm-ups ran up and down the wooded side of the hill and then we went to the south side of the hill and ran up to the top uh, it's a little over a kilometer run it's really really steep where this happened was on the east side of the hill. So at the top of the hill, there's a provincial park. It has a really nice lookout. You can They say you used to be able to see most of the county from there when there was a fire tower. And so we were up there. We just finished our runs. And this will be important later, but I was the fastest. And then it was Liam and then Jeremy and then Greg. Not that he was slow, but he was just slower than us. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that'll come into play later. So we got up to the top of the hill <clears throat> and we had about a half an hour to kill so my dad said basically you guys should just go do something in the park there's not much to do there's a couple of picnic tables in a, in a pond so we decided that we wanted to go down the east side of the hill which is very 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 steep very thickly wooded if you look at it on google maps it's you can't even it's all trees it's very steep and it leads down towards the area that where the spring was so we're not totally unfamiliar with it but it's we hadn't gone from the top all the way to the bottom on that side of the hill before so we thought that would be a good idea. Okay. We told Dad we were going to head in the hill. He said, okay, but you only got 30 minutes, and, you know, it's, it's a pretty, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time to get down there. We were like, oh, we'll be fine. So we were all pretty winded from doing these hill sprints, a little tired. So we head down the hill, and we're just, you know, a bunch of 15-year-old boys just, you know, being guys in the woods. And But it's so steep at some points that you actually have to, like, almost fall from tree to tree going down the hill which is a little treacherous on its own it's late fall so there's slippery leaves on the ground and everything's a little bit wet so on the way down not a whole lot of anything happened standard woods noises we could hear a a pair of dogs barking off in the distance we assumed were some farmer's dogs or something like that 
Uh, and we get to the bottom of the hill. It's deathly silent. We get out on the road. There's no cars. There's no wind. The dogs have stopped barking. And it's just deathly silent. And it was a little eerie. The, fir- the first reason why we panicked was because we only had about 10 or 11 minutes to get back to the top of the hill. It had taken us 20 minutes to go down the hill. <laughs> so we assumed it would take us a lot longer to get up the hill where my dad was waiting. He's a pretty laid back guy, but you don't, you know. You try to hit your timings. You don't leave someone waiting in the woods for 30 minutes for you. Yeah, exactly. So we didn't want him to get worried about us or anything like that. So we get to the bottom. It's really, really quiet. And it, it was on, it, it was to the point of where we made note of it. Like it was, it had been normal woods noises all the way down, like birds chirping, leaves rustling, things like that. And it was deathly silent. And that was really weird. So we all kind of took stock of the time and said, all right, well, well, we'll just, we'll pick up the pace on the way up. But we were tired. It was humid out like it's one of those hot october days where it's wet and hot and so we started heading back up the hill i was in the front with jeremy we we're just chatting and liam was about 10 feet behind us or 10 meters behind us and greg was 10 meters behind him so greg is 20 meters behind myself and we're walking up the hill and it's deathly silent and no one's no one's really talking that much because we're all out of breath and we're going up this hill and again like it's the opposite of going down the hill obviously but when you're going up the hill some parts you had to hold onto a tree and pull yourself up and then grab the next tree and pull yourself up. It's very thick and very steep. I, I can't explain how steep it was. I can't exaggerate it. It was extremely steep. So we're there and then we hear uh, Greg call out from behind us. He goes, hey, did you guys hear that? And it had been very quiet. And so we all stopped where we were. Nobody moved and we all kind of cocked our heads to the side and listened to what he had heard and none of us heard anything. We shrugged it off, and then we all turned to go back up the hill. And we were maybe not quite a third of the way up the hill when this happened. We didn't even get to take another step before Greg said, no, no, there it is again. Listen, listen, it sounds like a baby crying, which was an odd thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> so we all kind of paid attention. My first thought was that it was a rabbit caught in a snare or something like that because they have that weird, like, wounded cry. So I thought maybe, you know, it's a rabbit caught in a snare somewhere out here in the woods. And we all stopped to listen. And Greg's staring at us, and we're all looking back down at him. And then we hear this tremendous roar. Like, I won't try to do an impression of it because I would never do it justice. <laughs> uh, it didn't sound like a big cat, like a lynx or a cougar or anything like that. And it wasn't like a bear. And I know this because afterwards we Googled all these things to try to figure out what it was, and it didn't really fit the bill with any of them. What startled us wasn't the actual sound, but how loud it was. It was so loud that you could feel it vibrate in your chest like a, like a bass at a concert. And it came from down the hill. And so as loud as it was to me, Greg is 20 meters closer to this noise. He looks up at us, and his eyes go huge. And later on, after we all sat around and talked about it, my, my cousin Jeremy turned to me and he told me that all the color drained out of my face. I turned very, very pale. Before any of us could react, Liam had already sprinted up past us. Your first instinct is either flight or fight, and this was not a fight option. We were running away from whatever this was. Uh, none of us could see anything. So we just, we just heard this noise, and we all just started running. We, I, some words might have been exchanged, but it's, you know, it's a number of years. I don't really remember what was said. Probably something really cheesy, like from an action film. But Liam sprinted ahead of us, and he was like jumping from tree to tree. Greg started sprinting, and my cousin and I started running. Greg was so scared, he caught up 20 meters and passed us. He was going so fast. And then what happened was he slipped and he fell. I didn't see it. My cousin saw it, and he gave me a tap on the shoulder as we're running. And he said, Greg fell, and we looked back, and Greg's tumbling head over heels, there's leaves flying everywhere. 
I can't say for sure he ended up further down the hill than when he started, but it seemed that way. I just looked him right in the eye, and I remember saying it, and I was like, Greg fell, Greg's dead, and we just we left him 100%, and he never let us live it down. It's, it's just one of the, like, it was, it, it, that's how, like, scared we were, though. It wasn't, like, uh, like a funny thing. It was, is we were, we were running because we had no idea what was, A, yelling at us, or B, chasing us through the woods. We abandon Greg to whatever the noise was. We head up the hill and we get to the top. Liam gets out first and Jeremy and I come out almost together and we're all we're all kind of like dirty and a little bit like cut up from running through underbrush and things like that. Oh, very, very out of breath, very sweaty. My dad is a very confused look on his face. We're the only people in the park at the time, or so we thought. And he kind of gave us a look and he asked if everybody was okay. We didn't really say anything because we all turned to look for Greg. Now, my father has no idea what's happening other than the fact that we were we were almost late. So we're all looking at the woods and he goes, is everybody okay? And then we look back and he goes, I heard somebody yell and I thought maybe someone had twisted an ankle or, or like he actually thought maybe broken a leg because of how guttural and, and, and loud the noise was. We didn't really say anything because we're still waiting for either Greg or, or whatever this made this noise come out of the woods. Uh, so we stare back at the woods and then all of a sudden we hear some wrestling and then Greg comes out. He's got leaves in his hair and he's, he's all covered in dirt and cut up. and His eyes are still the size of grapefruits. And uh, he doesn't say anything. He comes up, and and Dad kind of gives us all a funny look. And he goes, he goes, what was what was the noise? And we all look at each other because we were surprised that he could hear it. The hill is so steep and so dense that if you walk 20 or 30 feet down the hill uh, and yell at the top of your lungs, the people at the top of the hill won't be able to hear you. Just the sound just bounces away from the. T- like, I don't know. I don't know how <laughs> the science behind it, but you can't hear very well what happens further down the hill and we were not even halfway up the hill and he heard it clearly enough that he thought one of us got hurt which to me also says it sounded human enough that he would mistake it for for one of us and he's a hunter like deer moose the whole nine years he would recognize if it was a standard animal sound or he wouldn't mistake it for human so your your dad had heard the sound you heard not you screaming in terror no he heard like the the what I call is a roar. Okay. Uh, he heard that. The noise that scared us is what he heard up the hill. Because we didn't really say, we didn't really scream or say much of anything. We were too busy, like, sucking wind trying to get up the hill. Just getting up there, yeah. Yeah. So we didn't have a lot of breath to, to communicate other than to leave, to agree to leave Greg behind. There wasn't <laughs> much that was said. <laughs> <laughs> what a, um, a heroic last uh, thought that you had. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not, not our brightest moment. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure my old army buddies would be very glad to hear that that's my mentality in a very dangerous situation. Yeah, they'll be glad that they're your old army buddies. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so he, my father gets confused because he also kind of knows that he shouldn't have been able to hear us if we were that far down the hill. Also, I'll add in that, that we made it back on time. So we made it up the hill and half the time it took us to get down the hill, just running on adrenaline. So we weren't actually late for getting back. And uh, so he... He's standing there, and you can see the wheels turning in his head. He's trying to figure it out. He goes, oh, okay. You know what? There's this other group of teenagers that are kicking around here somewhere, maybe a few years older than us. And uh, he goes, they were probably just screwing with you guys. At the time, you're like, oh, yeah, maybe maybe that's what it was. But as, he's, at this, as the words are leaving his mouth, the very group of teenagers he's talking about come out of the side path that's, that runs uh, north to south. So it, has, it goes nowhere near the face of the hill that we were on. And it goes out to this farmer's field that's 
400 meters away or something like that. And uh, and they're not connected, and these kids are laughing and joking, and, and there's no way they could have yelled from behind us and then got to the top of the hill and not been covered in sweat and exhausted and and whatever. So they're just they just come out of the sidewoods, and my dad kind of gives them a look and gives us a look, and then nods and says, "All right, everybody's gonna get in the van, and we're gonna we're gonna drive back to town." We never really talked about it on the way back. Everyone just kind of watched the woods, you know, watching the trees go by as we drove home. And so we never really talked about it till the next day, and and, and Greg was kind of uh, understandably a little upset at us, uh, the whole leaving him for dead thing. But as we talked about it, we couldn't place the noise. And, and Greg being further on the hill, he he was pretty adamant that that something was kind of chasing us. Like it wasn't just like a yet like a warning yell, and we got out of its air, whatever it was, we got out of the area, and it was fine. Like he he was pretty confident that something was chasing us, and we all had the feeling, like that gut feeling you get when when you know, you, you you walk into a, at your house and something's wrong, like the paintings twisted. Maybe you, you think like, oh, there's someone in the house with me. It's like that kind of like sixth sense where you're like, something is chasing me. And we if we stop moving, something bad is going to happen. So we all had that feeling like we got chased up that hill. And for years and years, it'll come up. We'll all start talking again. We'll do our own little research about stuff. And, and it's a lot of weird noises coming of BC. And we'll do research and try to pin what we heard to what is available on the Internet. And we can never quite place it. Is there anything that's even been close to what you heard? We have for years maintained, ever since the incident more or less, maintained that it was uh, a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot. From what we've researched on the internet, it's actually really hard to find like noise files for that. A lot of it's hoots and whistles, but there was one someone found a few years ago that sounded extremely similar. It's like a human yelling. Think of like an angry, very large human screaming at you, like the mountain from Game of Thrones or something. But it was just more it wasn't human it was like humanoid it was like you could mistake it for someone but it's so loud and there was just a, some there's a, a like a weird octave or something it didn't quite strike you as being just a guy yelling or a person yelling it was there's something more about it i can't really put my finger on it i think your dad thinking it was you all yelling adds to this because if you hear an animal the woods around here you're going to hear a coyote or a wounded you know fox or rabbit or something like that which doesn't sound like your son and his friends running up a hill yeah so it sounded enough like a person that he thought it could have been us and your friend greg that that was stuck at the back that you left for dead (laughs) did he see anything or hear anything in terms of something moving through the woods or you know trucking through the leaves i'm not 100 percent certain if he heard something truck through the wood he's very adamant that something was, was chasing us so i assume that he 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 must have heard something trampling around in the woods but none of us ever saw anything for sure like it's 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 pretty thickly wooded and you know like you hear stories like you come upon a bear and you're three feet away from it you never knew it was there or something like that like we we didn't see anything for sure, because all of us were looking up the hill <laughs> as well, uh, except for the quick glance back to watch Greg fall to his doom. He didn't has never said he saw anything, but he he's he's the most convincing of us that says something was chasing us, whether it had, was on two feet or four feet or is is up to debate. But he for sure felt like we were being chased, and he was the one who would have been the closest. You and your other, your other friend heard it but mainly are reacting to to Greg at the back, who was the one who was closest and probably the most frightful, where he was going to be the first to be eaten or <laughs> or, yeah. or worse. Yeah. Just the look on his face was, like, along with our own, if it had just been that noise by itself, it would have been, like, frightening. But it was that with his reaction of dread on his face, because it must have been much, much louder to him, because it definitely came from behind him. 
Uh, so he was, uh, yeah, I, I, he, he <laughs> I'm glad he survived anyways. Yeah. And uh, when yeah. something like that happens, if you're at the back of the line running, you, you sense that and you can tell when you're running. Like I've been in situations in my youth where me and my friends are running away from whoever or whatever. And when you're in the back of the of the line, you know that, and it gives you extra ambition to to really get moving. So, and I've also I've been in a situation in, in Cape Breton, where I'm from. We have a lot of coyotes, and they come very close to homes. I was walking through the woods once, um, just on my way home. This is maybe two in the morning, and usually I'm walking through the streets to get to my house. But there's a shortcut I can take that takes me through just a pretty. It's not dense woods, but it's it's definitely the forest and um just as i'm walking it's absolutely quiet and just from the woods right next to the gravel path that i was walking on i heard a a coyote howl um and it was it was terrifying and it was loud but there was nothing human about it there would be never a chance that i would mistake it for anything other than a coyote when i originally read your story my first thought was maybe it was a large coyote or the coy wolf or whatever they call them around here but it it sounds like uh, that's not at all the case and this is a, a great story i call it my famous sasquatch story it's it's one of those campfire what you tell the people when you like it's it's an icebreaker story so that people can kind of gauge you as a person and how ridiculous you are so i've been telling it for years and i, I stand by it and all of us it's it's one of those things where whenever one of the four of us brings it up it always it always gets us all together again and talking about it again like many of you listening i'm painfully skeptical after hearing miles story I rightfully began compiling a list of other plausible explanations for what Miles and the team encountered on that fateful day. Yet, Miles, although a bit self-deprecating in his delivery, firmly believed something unusual came close to eating him and his friends. I wanted to pursue the mystery a bit further, so I took a few extra steps both to corroborate the story and get some testimony by the only adult who was there that day. As you heard Miles describe, his father, Stephen McKenzie, was the track coach for the team. And although Stephen wasn't on the hill with the guys, from his vantage point in a clearing at the top of the hill, he heard it, and he saw the fear on their faces when they came out of the woods running for their lives. Kind of a sound that I've never heard before. I've done a lot of hunting and a lot of time in the woods, like building cabins, and, and but it was just a, a kind of an eerie, more screechy sound. I know what, I know what a bear sounds like in the woods. I've heard them call. It, it'd be along the lines of that, but it was a way sharper, sharper pitch to it, and it, it was like it was calling, but it um, it would kind of drift in and out, and it was seemed like it was really close to where they were going because. Um, at that time, I was the track and field coach for the um, Pictou Academy team, and uh, that, that was just a drill we were doing because this is probably like um, a full kilometer with a really sharp incline through the woods for a cross country. Um, I hadn't seen anything, but the, the feeling I got when I heard that noise was um, it kind, of, kind of makes your heart stop. One of those situations where you know your your uh, your kids and and your kids you're in charge of or or it sounds like a bad situation so i had started down the hill 
And when I started down, I could hear them talking back and forth and, and trying to make their way up. But at that time, it, it um, I was able to get a visual on on uh, Miles was coming up first, and, and the rest of them were behind them. But but it um, it was one of those feelings that it, this isn't right. Um, it's not something that that uh, give you that it's almost surreal. Something's really bad going to happen, but. It didn't, but it, it was it was something unnatural that that I had never heard in the woods before. So that's that's where that went. And and when they uh, when they came out of the woods, can you just describe the scene of of them coming out? Yeah, they were they were kind of in a because of the incline. Like it, it's a, quite a workout. It, you can see that they were still like on an adrenaline rush, but um, a little chalky white. Color to them, and, and and I was just trying to talk them down. That you know, that was probably something that they weren't sure of what they seen, but um, they weren't giving up on their end of the story. That it was just too unreal for them. And at that time, uh, Green Hills, uh, one of the provincial parks up there, and the, at that time there was nobody really there. There was a couple other people there, but they were up in the area where I was, where I where I could see them. Right, so. There was nobody else around, and and it, it it's not a sound a person could make for sure. It was it was very unnatural. So you're you're convinced there was an animal in there with them making that sound? Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah, no, there's no question in my mind that that was something different too. That I I've never heard it before. Never heard it again. Okay. But it, it was I think of uh, it probably lit. If, uh, if my memory serves me right, but it was probably. Uh, about three or four calls uh, at, in, a, in a sequence of about five minutes, roughly, that that, um, that it took place. And the first one, I kind of stood still. The second one, I started down the hill. And the third one, like as I went down, it was seemed to be getting louder. And it was just seemed, seemed um, it was, and then again, it was more the pitch of the sound and, and the, the unnatural sound to it of uh, something that, of a more of a wild animal, I guess, but it was it was something out of line in, in, in my my thinking anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, from the time they returned, when they got up the top of the hill with you, and I imagine the drive home was a little odd. In in your mind, as this was all happening, what did you think had occurred? I was just <laughs> more relieved than anything, and just trying to keep them keep uh, keep them in a calmer calmer state because they were quite worked up over. What had happened, and um, one of the the fellows that was last was was the one up the hill was I think was um, Greg Jason at that time, and and he was kind of he kind of got left behind. But the time I get down there, I could, I could get a visual on them all. But so when I get them probably in the car and then getting them home, just trying to let the story go, you know, so they didn't then pursue <laughs> pursue it after that. Just mm-hmm. a matter of. But they took it to school, and then they uh, the next day, and they, the more they talked about it, the the the, the more like, the real a guy. And I had to re- run it through my mind again that, that it was it was pretty intense at, at, at that time, and no no real answers for it. I know I don't have one, and whatever would have seen, and I know what I heard. I didn't see it, but it's just one of those situations where you 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 have it for the you got your own your own take on it, and you get to talk about it on and off. Now, for those of you still with me, it may seem like the story's been told, but it's about to get really weird. 
After recording the interviews you've just heard, and just days before I was planning to hit publish on this episode, something unexpected and completely bizarre happened. Something that made this story go from kind of fun to a bit more serious. As it turned out, an article was published in a now-defunct newspaper telling the story of a very similar event occurring very near where Miles had his encounter. This article was published in August of 1915, nearly a hundred years prior to the story Miles shared. But the odd thing is, the reporter who wrote the article made reference to prior events in the area and noted that it seemed that these events were occurring every 50 years. Miles sighting fits that timeline. Marsh monster exists? In the sleepy backwaters of Picto County, there is something that has been raiding chicken coops and stealing milk right from the cows. Mrs. Irvin McKay, a resident of the Marsh Road outside of Thorburn, Nova Scotia, told this writer that there is something evil out there, something big and shadowy, and it scares the bejeebers out of me. A tour of the area yielded a large number of footprints, which were very large, up to 15 inches in length, and were clearly made by something very heavy. Mavis Merriweather, a local widower, told us that the creature comes from the marsh at night and retreats there before dawn. She further stated that the great beast carried off my bow three fortnights ago, and he hasn't been seen since. It's scary up here at night alone, you know, she explained. Upon review of local historical documents, it seems the beast is seen for a year or two every 50 years. It comes, causes a ruckus, and then is gone. In this reporter's opinion, it is best to leave such mysteries alone and hope no harm comes to those living nearby. It's, it's only about 20 kilometers from Green Hill Provincial Park uh, to where the article says the sighting was out in uh, Marsh Road in Thorburn. So that's uh, not very fair at all. And now, having seen the article, which up until now, you, you've never seen this or heard of this before, have you? No, I've never. I didn't know this happened. How does this make you feel in terms of corroborating the story that, that you've had for the last 13 years? Well, it's a, actually a little creepy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because like it was always a, a funny story, but then when you read that it, it's happened before and there's a there's a repeating timeline and your incident falls inside of that repeating timeline, it just adds a little more weight to it and it stops being a funny story and kind of a a little creepy actually. Yeah, and the story uh, or the article doesn't make it sound like this peaceful thing that's screaming at people in the woods. Where this article talks about a bow, which me and Miles haven't uh, been able to identify whether that was the girl's boyfriend that was stolen or maybe a female cow or something. But this this animal in this story is running off with things, and it sounds like they dis- they suspect it lives in a swamp nearby, which is also kind of creepy. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's just it makes you wonder, like, what if we didn't weren't quite so fit to get up that hill so quick? What might have went down? Yeah, and I think this probably cements. Um, Picto as the Bigfoot capital of Nova Scotia. Do, do you think that's safe to say? I think that's safe to say. We're probably like an Eastern Cougar sighting away from the Cryptozoology Center of Nova Scotia. <laughs> but uh, no, it's really, uh, really interesting and adds some depth to this for sure. I really don't know what to think about all this. What I do know is that the forest has many secrets, so anything's possible. I also know if I was going for a walk in the woods around Pictou County, 
I'd probably bring a good camera and some bear mace with me, just in case. And with that, we'll conclude this episode of Nighttime. I want to thank Miles and Stephen McKenzie for sharing this strange story. Miles, a lot of people would be too embarrassed to admit a Bigfoot encounter. And even more people would be reluctant to admit leaving a friend to be eaten alive by an unseen beast. You've done both, and that takes guts, so my hat's off to you. But in all seriousness, if anyone wants to sample some of the liquid courage Miles has been supplementing himself with, check out Picaroon's Traditional Ales in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Miles is the bearded guy obsessing over the malted barley, hops, and ringwood yeast he uses to make some of Atlantic Canada's tastiest beer. In addition to Miles and his dad, Stephen, I'd like to thank my good friend Aaron Corbett, who hosts the Your Three Stories podcast, for performing the 1915 news article in that vintage uh, retro newsy type of style. If any of you are interested in audio dramas, especially those with offbeat styles of comedy, I highly recommend the Your Three Stories podcast. I've added a promo for it at the very end of this episode. And now the biggest thanks of all is to all of you listening. Without you, I'd have no excuse to spend so much of my time doing this. For anyone out there who wants more nighttime, please check out the Patreon group. For as little as a dollar a month, you can support the creation of the show and access the supporter-exclusive feed, which provides ad-free, early releases of episodes in addition to prior episodes no longer available on this main feed. You can join by visiting patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. I'd like to thank the current patrons of the show and welcome the newest members to the group. John Pascal, Pat Halberstrom, Ghetto Bill Gates, Lynn Ray, Laura Boots, and Lisa Terrio. I appreciate your generous support of nighttime. For any of you who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a big hand by telling your friends about me and leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts or an equivalent. If any of you listening want to stay up to date with my activities both on and off the show, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I use the handle at NighttimePod. If any of you have any story ideas, feedback on the show, or would like to share a personal story as Miles did, I'd love to hear from you at NighttimePodcast at gmail.com. Now until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte. The weird things happen in Picto, they say. If you went asking around, there's a lot of a lot of people with some pretty odd stories that come out of that area. Have you ever heard anything from people around Picto of, you know, Sasquatch, odd things in the woods? The one incident that comes to mind is, and I couldn't put a name to this, but it came up through, actually through my cousin, he knew a guy, his younger brother told their father once that there was a person outside their house at night, and the father was like, how do you know? And he said, well, I saw him walk past the window, but he, his window was one of those, like, kind of like a little bathroom window or whatever, and it was, it was over seven feet off the ground. Huh. So that seemed a little odd, but noises-wise, I, I haven't heard too much noise-wise, like people hearing weird noises in the woods, or other than your standard, you know, people mistake what a, what a bear sounds like, or, or a rabbit caught in a trap, or something like that. My name is Aaron Corbett, and I want to let you know about my show called Your Three Stories Podcast. We produce weird and funny audio drama stories in series of three. Here are a few examples of what you will hear. 
The first clip is from our financial crisis series and is called The Search for Gold. In this story, three treasure hunters dig for more than they bargained for. Sam, is there any sort of curse we should be worried about with this treasure? Some treasures have evil curses attached to them, and people look for the treasure and up dying. You didn't say anything about there being a curse, Sam. How could you do this to us, Sam? There is no curse. Are you sure? Maybe this treasure carries a curse, but since nobody found it, then nobody knows about the curse. We could be the first to die. Our second example is from our Technical Difficulties series and is called Super Secret Super Soldier. Charlotte Drake, a brilliant scientist, attempts to create a super soldier for the United States government, only to find out that not everything goes as planned. Project Nightcrawler is a complete success. Look, he's getting up. He can't even stand. His leg just fell off. I'll sew that back on after lunch. Everyone be quiet. He's going to say his first words. You can listen to more at our website, www.your3stories.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts.